0: Welcome to the show. In this one, family and friends share some of their favorite memories of professional snowboarder Chris Larson. About a month ago, Larson took his own life. Without speculating on reasons why he did it, this episode focuses on the life of Larson. If you didn't know Larson then the best way to understand him is that he was someone who came from a loving family, he had loyal friends, and he was extremely talented. But he just had a hard time being comfortable. Maybe because he was restless. Maybe because he was an old soul, like so many of his friends have said. I can't exactly remember the first time I met Larson, but I do have a clear memory of him and his dad coming into Borderline, which was my dad's snowboard and skateboard shop in Anchorage, Alaska. It was maybe his first or second time really being introduced to the Alaska snowboard and skateboard scene. I think he was about 10. It wasn't long before Larson's name was on everybody's radar. He was a fast learner, with a style beyond his years, and a propensity for going huge at spots. I was excited to see where his life in snowboarding would lead. He's 23, and Larson is sitting in my kitchen, and I'm interviewing him for a snowboard publication.
1: A lot of the clips in my video parts and a lot of the clips I've seen from my, the people I snowboard with, mm-hmm. with learn our tricks on our spots. Mm-hmm. Like living in Alaska, we don't have, we don't have parks. We There's don't, no park. We don't have anywhere to fucking go learn new tricks. It's like, yeah. okay, I'm going to switch back three on the south. Mm-hmm. That's like the trick I need to do. Yeah. And <laughs> let's fucking roll the dice.
0: He's a professional snowboarder now, always doing the gnarliest tricks on the biggest things. It's impossible to drive around Anchorage and not recognize things that Larson hit or pioneered. I've always known him to be a great snowboarder, but I really got to know him as a friend when he lived in the apartment below me and my wife. In that time, I got to see why people loved him so much. He was honest, caring, and real. If you wanted the truth, all you had to do was ask. Every weekend, We would sit at my kitchen table or go out for drinks. He always had something to talk about. He was exciting, thoughtful, and was always a good friend. I want to thank my friend Mike Dempsey for suggesting the idea for this episode. And thank you to my wife Carrie Hombach for suggesting that I dig up an interview I did with Larson back in 2015 and include snippets of it in this episode. As I sat down at that very same kitchen table to re-listen to that audio, I was brought right back to that moment with Larson, drinking beers and talking about snowboarding, his life, and his Taco King order.
1: Carnitas out of dinner all day. Yeah, that's what I do too. walk, extra sauce, keep it saucy.
0: I want to thank everyone who told a story for this episode, for being brave enough to record a memory about Larson so close to his passing. Each one is a reminder that life is never just one thing. That it's made up of all the good and all the bad that people do. And together, those things create every one of us. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up.
2: Crude Conversations. Listen more, then you talk.
3: Go to work!
0: When we first started talking, the first thing, you know, one of the first thing you said was that people kind of perceive you as this like, oh, he's he's kind of gnarly. But if they actually knew you, they'd know that the first person that you would hurt is going to be yourself a lot of the time,
1: you know? I guess, yeah, you can put it that way. I, you know, I, I would, I, I've t- out of frustration. I've, I've taken care of, I take care of people before myself. Especially. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I think I probably do think about other people more than myself. Mm -hmm. For sure.
0: This first story comes from Ariel Busart.
4: My brother was always larger than life. He has taught me and continues to teach me in death to be brave and to be strong and to stand up for myself. To not care what other people think. And... There are so many stories. I had 28 years with him. So many stories that come to mind. One of my absolute favorites on why he's my hero. So my brother is six years younger than me. And when I was about 12 or 13, so he would have been about six or seven, I was in middle school and I was bullied so badly. I was the ugly duckling as my husband puts it now. Um, and i never wanted to go to school and i always cried and my brother you know was a huge support in that even though we didn't even go to the same school cuz you know six years apart well one day my mom was picking me up from middle school and my fucking brother man he saw me sitting on the curb crying and there was my bully standing over me saying whatever he nasty shit he was saying and just being nasty cuz he was just mean and my mom pulled up to the curb and my brother jumped out and my mom didn't know what he was doing. He couldn't even, like, it couldn't have even taken him 30 seconds to unbuckle and jump out of that car. It was so fast. And I remember just sitting there and my six-year-old brother knocked this middle schooler the fuck out. Straight. Right hook, whatever you want to call it, across the face. Just leap, jump to reach it. (laughs) And knocked him to the flipping ground. And then he stood over him. And he looked at him, six years old. Fucking Larson, man. And says, you ever whisper another word to my sister, those will be the last words you ever say. And from then on, I was never bothered. He stood up for me in ways that I could never imagine. When I turned 16, I was still that awkward girl. I was super skinny, short hair, braces, glasses, all that jazz. And I got my driver's license and I was so excited. And I looked at brother and I was like, hey, I could take you bowling. You want to go bowling? That bitch straight looked me up and down. And said, not if you're going to wear that. He then walked up to my mom, asked for a hundred bucks and took me clothes shopping. (laughs) A few weeks after that, I got my first boyfriend. He taught me how to dress. He was larger than life. And I have so many memories of him that I can't even start to describe it. But I know that he was that kind of teacher to everyone he met. Godspeed, brother, I love you.
0: Larson was often his own worst enemy. Here he is talking about the time he re-broke his wrist.
1: Um... Well, I think it was already broken, and I was convincing myself that it wasn't broken. Uh Uh-huh. And then... And then... I got into a car wreck, And totaled, totaled my car like fully. It's like got super lucky. Like this guardrail, like cut through my entire car. If it would have been, I would have been like fucking. If I would have been two feet further, Mm -hmm. that guardrail probably would have sliced easily through my car and like like sliced my legs. Mm -hmm. And I got like a gnarly concussion. Broke a little piece of my neck off dealt with all these this cop shit and then the next day i was like didn't have a car fight. i was out five thousand dollars i had charges over my head and i was just walking home from bear's tooth You know, was con- like symptom of concussion is like aggression and confusion and i just i just punched a sign and it just you mm-hmm. punch it hard and it just snapped because it was already just so beat up and now it's got and now it's got two rods through it, and I got like a month left with this stupid thing. It's like fifth time we've been casted up in this hand. hmm So, I don't know, yeah, just rash, dumb decision. <laughs> Here's Trevor Thorpe.
5: I feel very lucky to be able to call Chris one of my best friends. I met him either at a premiere with, uh, like a borderline or think think premiere or hilltop uh, but we like we clicked immediately and became really good homies I think we like when we first met we had a sleep over like three nights in a row and we would play poker till like noon the next day just like all through the night with a bunch of good homies um, but yeah, I've just been thinking about Chris and who he is as a person and he's he's definitely one of the most passionate dudes I've ever met. I, whatever he got into, he wanted to be the best at it and he really was at everything. He was fucking best at poker, obviously such a G at snowboarding. Um, I think all of his friends and those who knew him uh, really looked up to him and if he if he told you something you you really took it to heart um i know that i really did and i i find myself like just like my mannerisms and like little nuances that i don't like think about until recently just like have been gleaned from larson and something as little as like the way i throw dice like playing silo or whatever um He had a very unique style in everything he did. And he was really fucking good at it. Um, I would say the only thing that he wasn't the best at was staying out of trouble for whatever reason. Um, We definitely were little ruffians back in the day. Um, And I remember this one time we were at our buddy, Sean Lafferty's, in like in uh, Independence Park. We were probably like 16, I think. And it was just, there was a big party over there and the cops end up coming. And Larson and I both had an MIC and I, we were freaking out and we like, the cops got into the house and we're, we locked ourselves in this bedroom with like 16 other kids. It was like the last wall. And there was like a trap door that went to the basement or the um, garage. And so I like, and no one had ever like gone through it, but you could see it from the garage. So I like, Larson and I like move the chest and start like cutting at this carpet, but can't find the door. And then the cops, like meanwhile, are just pounding on the door, trying to get in. And they're claiming that they're about to bust it down and as I'm still cutting away, I like look over my shoulder, and Larson just jumps out of the second-story window. Um, and so I just drop the box cutter, run to the window, look down, and it's a massive drop onto like some like landscaping rocks. And we don't have shoes on, um, but I make the jump, and we run off. He goes one direction; I go another don't have phones um and I just I somehow got home and I remember waking up to or from a her waking up to a call from Larson the next morning and we like both started laughing just because we like got out of bed and like stood up and just fell straight down because our feet were so bruised from that fall but he uh, he got me out of that one for sure. Um, and that was just who he was, he was a ballsy dude. And <laughs> uh, you can definitely see it in the snowboarding, just charging anything, just zero fear. It's wild. Another really funny story. I remember Larson, we were at a party and he left, and he wakes up to two cops above his bed or the bed he was sleeping in and they're like where are you and he's like I'm at Gus's house and they're like no you're not and apparently Larson got a little loose and thought he was at Gus's house so just walked into some random person's house and just uh, pulled the sheets and had a nice little sleep until the cops came. So the cops get him out of bed, they put him in the cop car and um, they're going down Rabbit Creek Road and Larson looks out the window and sees his car in a ditch, smashed into a stop sign. And he's looking at it and the cop's like, is that your car? And he's like, nope, mm And the cop pulls over, runs the plates, it's his car. And uh, yeah. I guess you could probably uh imagine what happened after that, but um I mean he was Larson was such a fucking sweet dude. he had an infectious smile, an amazing laugh, really funny the one of the realest dudes I've ever met um and I always appreciated that and always looked up to it um but yeah, he was a sweetheart, and uh just to end, I was thinking about. This one time we went to uh, Hatcher's Pass and we, it was like dead of winter and we like set up a jump and we brought camping gear cause we thought it'd be a good idea to camp out there and brought probably, I think like a case of Corona and maybe like a half a sandwich or something. And we're all just like starving and so goddamn cold. We like hiked our gear up there onto the mountain and I just remember being so goddamn frigid, just like chattering and uh, Larson unzipping our sleeping bags, putting them together and just like holding me and like rubbing me to like warm me up. And I just remember that being the fucking sweetest thing and how was the kind of dude he was. He was there for all his homies all the time. Um, yep, yeah, he, will, he will be missed, but. Um, know that I love you to death, homie. And, um, I'll see you on the other side.
0: In this next clip, Larson talks about his bad habits.
5: If there
1: was a question that, like, no one, my close homies don't want to ask me, Mm -hmm. but they observe, um, would be, like, my bad habits. Drinking, abusing drugs, all sorts of shit it all started at an early age like my closest homies are like scared to ask me and I'm like dude or even like just to like reality check you know it's like I know what the fuck I'm doing mm. but it's like do you wish they'd call you out on it? No, I don't care but
5: Would it make a it, difference if they did um,
1: no
0: here's Gus Engel and Este Preda so here's a little story or a little a little a few words for my friend Larson. Um, When I think about Larson I obviously think of a lot of incriminating stories but when you put all those aside, you just you just remember I just remember him as being such a a nice loyal and non-judgmental friend and just such a common collected intelligent person and I just feel like if Larson would have been born maybe a 100 years ago he would have been he he would have maybe been just fine living in some sort of wild west setting.
3: It's just, he just he just didn't fit in this in th- this time. I think. Um, let's see. Uh, so yeah, it is hard to sum up Larson or tell almost any story about Larson that doesn't involve some sort of misadventure with the law. For as anybody. Who knew? Larson knows. Uh, he often was on the wrong side of the law, um, and um, and I think it's true that he just didn't quite fit into the society. He was. He needed to be born in maybe like the Wild West, and and where he could be free to to do his thing because. He was just such a kind, great person. He never did anything that that uh, hurt anybody else. He just wanted to chip out his own way of living in between the cracks. And to be free, I think. Um, and I do remember like the first time I met Larson... I think he was like probably 12 years old or 11 years old. And we were at Hilltop. And I just remember... I think I'd heard some people say some things about, like, talking about him because they were saying, like, there was, like, this young guy and he was super good and he had super good style and stuff. And I remember he was just, like, hitting this little flat bar and I just went down there and and we started, like, hitting this little flat bar together and he was so good. He just had, like, the best style. Like, no no other 12-year-old has ever had as good a style as that little guy had. And he had this, like, crazy baritone voice that, that like, it was insane. Like, it was, like, this little kid but like he's he had this such like a deep deep voice and like he was so calm and collected and like he was so taciturn and just want to keep it all you know, like, he, he would only speak, like, when he needed to say something, which is, like, the exact opposite of me. <laughs> so I was just, so I would just, like, after that, we kind of started hanging out quite a bit. And, like, we would just drive around in the car and stuff, and he would just, like, not say anything. We would just drive around. Like, we drove to Fairbanks one time with Cooley and stuff, like, the very first trip he got on, I think. We went to Fairbanks, and we just, like, drove up there, and he, like, just barely said anything the whole way up. It was, like, Clayton, Lyndon, me, and Larson in the car, and the whole way up, pretty much didn't say a word. Like, he just sat in the back, didn't, like, just not speaking, and then, and then by the time, but by the time we we, we were knowing that trip, for some reason, he had, like, completely, like, opened up, and he was, like, I don't know, he was super funny and just, like, talking a bunch of stuff, but... But that was Larson. Like you could just Cruise around with him In a car And not say a word For like two hours (laughs) And But it was like He didn't feel Uncomfortable doing that Because he was just so Like He just seemed to be So comfortable In his own skin He kind of had like a Like a Lou Reed Kind of presence (laughs) Where Just I don't know He was just like the Paragon of cool You know he was just a great guy. He just uh, he was always so nice to my little autistic brother and stuff. And he was like, he's like simultaneously so cool and kind and like non-judgmental. Like they was saying, and and I think that's a pretty rare combination. He was just a super rare person. That I think like anybody that that met him, like can attest to like, just being pretty like, almost shocked by how unique and wonderful he was. But yep. So that's it. Rest in peace, Larson. Love you, man.
4: Love you, Larson.
0: Larson wasn't a cocky snowboarder, so this next clip is a rare moment where he acknowledges his accomplishments.
1: Not to be cocky or anything, but dude, I've definitely pioneered quite a few spots. Mm. And I'm stoked on that. I've pioneered a few clips. Like, I'm not, like, that's just, that's just how I truly feel like. And a lot of the spots that I like have hit Mm -hmm. that no one else has get torn down for some reason. yeah, Or they get knocked.
0: Here's Mark Thompson.
6: Little Larson, your legend brother. Well, I remember first seeing you up at Hilltop and uh, I was kind of blown away because you're really quiet very modest, but you ripped it harder than any of the other kids. And you had a really developed style. I was, uh, kind of, uh, harsh on little kid style. It's something that you have to develop in my mind. And you had it from the time you were little. And, uh, I'd been hanging around borderline for a long time. And I knew that we needed to have you on that crew. Um, I kind of looked up to you, Chris. Uh, even though you were, I don't even know, 10 years younger than me or whatever it was, but uh, there was something stoic about you and truthful. And uh, even though you were so much younger than me and I wanted you around me, uh, I just kind of looked up to you, bro. And uh just such a rare quality and trait. And you, you held on to that trait for your entire life. I've got a lot of stories. I'm supposed to share one. Um, I had just thought about this funny memory at Hilltop years later where I think it was Gus and you and Scott and this kid was like, hey, are you guys in the Borderline video? And uh, we're like, yeah, you know, feeling kind of cool. And he's like, "Cool," and he just does a nose manual and like goes down the entire hill like away from us, in a nose manual. That was like super funny to us. Your laugh was always made me laugh because when you really got laughing, you get a, it would go high pitched. Like you have a really low voice for your size, and you would laugh and it would get this like like a. Almost like a Michael Jackson, he, he or something it was super funny, <clears throat> but we got a lot of those laughs out of you. Um, it's all such a surprise, you know, but we went on some trips to Seattle. I used to bring you to Fairbanks. Your dad was always really cool, trusted in me to look after you. And uh, you were always really chill and Pretty much easy to get along with. Uh, He never really caused the stir. Um, It was just cool to have you around. Uh, It was not like having a kid around. (laughs) But I watched you grow up, and you got better and better and better. That one wooden rail where you broke your ribs on, I remember going with you to that in my shoes or something. I didn't have a snowboard or anything, and that was pretty much my last season filming. And that rail, dude, that rail was so ridiculous. And I was scared, dude. I was scared for you. I did not want you to do that rail. Um, But you were going to do that rail. And uh <laughs> I can't remember who was filming or anything, but they were, you know, no one was saying anything because I think pretty much everyone knew you had it. Or if you were gonna do it, you would have it because... I don't think you'd have done it if you didn't think you could do it. I mean, I thought you could do it, but dang, that thing was so gnarly. I don't think you ever went back to it. I know you cracked your ribs on it. You probably would have gotten it if it wasn't for that stupid tree, but uh, no one before or after had or would step to that crazy freaking thing, dude. Anyways, I could talk all day, but... uh, I'm not gonna take this podcast up. Uh, we love you, and we miss you, and we gonna continue to miss you. But legends never die, my brother.
0: In this next clip, Larson talks about the scariest thing he's ever hit on a snowboard.
1: No, if you no, if you go snowboarding, it was uh, gapping out to the sunshine middle rails.
0: Yeah. I actually remember you telling me that at one point.
1: Yeah, but there were, we, like, I, like, put, I put, I used, like, ice chunks and sugar snow. And, yeah, yeah. And four gallons of water to make the jump, and there was no snow to throw on the stairs. And I got five or six run-ins. I knew the speed gap to the ledge from a couple of years back, but it was, like, it was all just gamble. And it was, like, the only time I was, like, damn, if I clip, dude, I'm probably, like, I might die.
0: Here's Logan Mlock.
7: I was probably a much bigger fan of Chris than uh than he ever knew or or you know even how much we knew each other, you know, our 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 communication was always pretty limited to either playing cards or, you know, just talking a little bit about skiing and snowboarding. Um but my favorite memory of him, um I've got to uh the first one we were filming the dub kink at the zoo in probably 2008 or 2009 um matt and travis were filming they weren't hitting it and i think brian adams was there taking photos but uh since i was the only one hitting it and i was a skier they were having me skate into it instead of slinging me in because we didn't have a drop-in ramp and uh so I'd skated into it probably 10 or 15 times and I was just totally fucking gassed. And uh, I remember Larson and I'm pretty sure it was Gus Engel pulled in in Larson's little red Subaru and uh, they were just driving by. I think maybe they were going home from hitting something or not sure what they were doing. Um, this is a super long time ago, so memory's a little foggy, but I'm pretty sure we came to some kind of loose agreement that. They'd push me in with Larson's Subaru until um, I got it, and then we'd trade out. And then I'd either me or the other person would drive, and, and we'd leave it set up, um, and they could get some shots too. So they pushed me in probably, I don't know, 30 times. Uh, and it was well over an hour of, of him just back and forth pushing me in. I'd hit it, I'd fall, I'd come back up, do it again. And um yeah, I mean, finally, after an hour, hour and a half, whatever, um, I finally got it and uh came back up and I was just like, All right, like your turn, you know? And Gus and Larson were both like, No, we're good. Like, um, glad you got your shot though, and then just like peace out, like see see you guys later. And, uh, you know, it just speaks a lot to the kind of person he is and the kind of scene we are up here, you know. Like, they had no reason to hang out that long and, like, help me out and get a shot. Like, we didn't know each other that well. And and uh, obviously, like, I'm a skier and there's snowboarders and, like, that, you know, it they didn't have to do that. And just kind of speaks volumes to not only, you know, Gus, but Larson about how they just were down to help somebody get a shot. And, um, you know, years later, we'd play cards together and, uh, you know, spend a lot of time. And he'd always wear these dumbass stunner shades. And I'd always give him such a hard time for wearing them. But, like, he didn't care. And I guess the one face that Larson would make that's kind of imprinted my brain of his is, like, I, I never saw him, like, do a full-on, like, lose-it laughing. But, like, he'd get this fucking sheepish, like, cat-ate-the-canary smile, laugh on his face playing cards when he'd take down a pot or bluff someone or whatever he'd do. And uh, I guess that's kind of the face that's always burned in my head of his. But then, uh, I don't know, many years later, um, after a bunch of video parts you know, like right brain, left brain, that that part it just always sticks with me is it's one of my favorite snowboard parts ever. Like it's, it's kind of Chris has like a timeless style, you know, like he, he never tried to be stylish. Um, he just was like, and, and he rode so aggressively. Like, I don't know. I, I always kind of, Compared him to Brandon Westgate, and that was like always, I fucking weirdest skier ever. I my biggest influences. I, I tried. I always tried to ski like I was Brandon Westgate or Chris Larson. Like I, no, probably doesn't make a lot of sense to people, but um, I remember very very vividly because it's like it was one of the biggest days of my life. Like it was a. Uh, it's quite a few years later, and. We rolled up to a spot in Minneapolis. Um, it was a kind of a gap over a cross rail to like a down ledge, and immediately I saw it, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Like Larson hit that in right brain, left brain. Like, yeah, I want to get a shot on this. And uh, and the whole time that I was hitting it, I was just I was thinking about Chris. Like I was, I'd gotten into a habit at that point that I would I would whistle while I was hitting something, and uh, I was just whistling whistling the Willow song from his right brain left brain part and uh like i don't know it was uh it was the last urban shot that i ever got and it was really really big turning point in my life like uh i i made the decision that day after i got that shot that that was kind of the best shot i was ever gonna get and i was done and and that day i was thinking about chris the whole time you know I was i was whistling that song and I was thinking about him wearing girl jeans and Ollie in that ten star at copper at Nationals and eating shit and just just thinking about how he snowboarded and and you know, I ended up a lot of that day, like it, it shaped what I am now and, and what I did after skiing. Um, and every time I look at that shot and I hear me whistling, I start singing that Willow song and then I think about all the shots that he had in that right brain left brain brain part. Um specifically like the ledge gap ledge front two that the, they like hit at the crescendo of the song and it just like I don't know, man, it makes me made me smile every time, but now it just makes me super sad because I always wanted to tell him, like I always wanted to tell him how much that part meant to me. Um and I'm sure, you know, like a lot of you, I saw him post that shot. I am him hitting that quarter pipe pretty recently. I don't know if it was, like, a few weeks or a month ago. And I just got stoked. I was like, fuck yeah, Lars has still got it. Like, and, uh yeah, I know a lot of you guys, like, Brewster and Hup and Gus and, you know, people that I probably haven't talked to in a decade, you guys are all hurting really bad. I'm just – uh Yes, for anybody that listens, uh, Chris had a huge impact on me. I know you guys will miss him a lot.
0: In this next clip, Larson talks about Sean Genovese, better known as Geno. Geno owns Dinosaurs Will Die, the snowboard company Larson was sponsored by for 13 years. Larson got his first dino board when he was 15. At that time, they didn't make a board small enough for him, so they custom made him one.
1: Dude, I look up to Geno so much, and anytime i in a problem, like, I call him. Yeah. I call my mom, or I call him, and it's like, I get scared when it's like, I break my I broke my wrist with him, and I was like, so what happens if I don't get surgery? I can't afford this. And he's like, dude, shit happens. Like, yeah. We're going to do this. You're getting surgery. Like, he, like, forced me into it. Otherwise, it probably would have been, like... Oh, whatever, when I'm 60, I won't be able to use my fucking right arm. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. Now. Like, he's, dude, he's a brilliant fucking guy, and, like, every time I talk to him, it's like, we talk for, like, an hour. Mm-hmm. It, it goes from, like, one little subject, and then we're, like, an hour later, like, oh, yeah. fuck.
8: <laughs> Here's Sean Genovese. Um, been racking my brain about a story to tell, but can't really think of one specifically. Um, it's more of a... I get more of these feelings. More of like uh, just the energy. You know, when he was uh, being around him. Which is... Uh, which is a good thing. I find myself thinking about his laugh a lot I'll hear it you know I keep trying to think of a story and it's kind of a blur but then there'll be this moment when I remember that he laughed and I'll I'll hear it and that's uh which is uh pretty amazing pretty amazing thing to have I uh actually do have a bit of a story it's more of a just kind of a feeling again kind of that energy vibe was uh one day that was able to go up to uh up to baker actually his his uh i knew uh he was pretty pretty proud i think to be able to um you know just of the maybe the snowboarding with his dad you know that seemed to be something that he was always pretty excited about and he would talk about and um had the chance one time they were his dad was down in town and it um, might have been his first time up in Mount Baker. And uh so I went up with them and it was just the uh just the three of us, I, I believe. And uh, you know, he he um, just just riding around just seeing, you know, a kid with his with his dad and just how excited he was, you know, kinda showing off for him and uh, we got a really good good day of, of snow. And uh Yeah, and just, you know, that laugh kind of falling in the snow, you know, no no strings attached, you know, no filming, no uh no obligations really besides to just have a good time. And uh so yeah, I really I remember that one. That's one of my fondest memories.
0: In this next clip, Larson talks about the importance of think thank to his snowboard career. He appeared in ten ThinkTank videos. Uh what would you say that that Think Tank has done for you?
1: Dude <clears throat> I tell this to a lot of people. Like if I I when I was I think 13, 14, I went to the Key of the Birds premiere mm-hmm. in Seattle and I was offered to ride for ride mm-hmm. or for dinos. And obviously I picked dinos. Yeah. And it's like if I would have went down the ride like who knows where I would have been like Mm -hmm. the next year I didn't have a single shot I like partied and gambled all I did was drugs and played poker Mm -hmm. and some reason Jenna like kept me around didn't cut me off like first year Mm -hmm. and dude I feel like I just feel so lucky and grateful like to be like to have like look up to Dre Mark, Mark, Mm -hmm. Jeno, Burner. Like, those are dudes that, like... The second Mark is... Mark Thompson. Okay. You said Mark twice. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just... um, Yeah, dude. I have so much respect for Burner. So much respect. Like, I was Mm -hmm. so fucking... I I was stressed out last year in a bad spot. Worried about, like, my entire whole snowboarding what I was doing, mm-hmm. and, like, Burtner just, like, pushed me through, like, mm-hmm. like. how do you do that, he's just, like, probably shoveled more than me on my own spots, like, if I, I was just being lazy, I was, like, just felt like I sucked, I was, like, just, like, down, mm-hmm. down and out on myself all the time, and it was, like, is the only thing that kept me going, Mm-hmm. And so, dude, think, think that thing, think like, I, I don't think I'd ever be somewhere.
0: Here's Jesse Bertner.
1: Yeah, so Chris,
9: um, a lot of thinking about Chris lately, and uh, a lot of looking back on the journey that we spent some of it together on. Quite a bit, actually. Um, In retrospect, I can't believe how much of our lives we shared. But just how much history there is there through the videos and how long um, he was just such a dominant force for Think Tank and, and uh, you know, a powerful person in my and Christina's lives. And, um, yeah, I just can't believe he's gone. I can't believe that the story is is what it is because in my mind even though there were always kind of dark times there was like two sides to the coin of chris larson i always saw this um different scenario where he came out just intact and i always saw that in him because how could you not because he was so confident and um such a beautiful person in so many ways and and i think some of the other things going on in his life were they weren't ever shown to me or to christina or a lot of us it was about the snowboarding and the times we spent in the day together uh and we're you know a big age gap so there was a lot of i wasn't going to be hanging out with the kids at night anyways but um regardless of that what I wanted to say about Chris is just you know Chris was an old soul from the very beginning Um, he was a cool very cool calm and collected individual um, kind of uh, hard as nails so to speak and even when he was young he was just you know he was just he seemed more mature than a lot of people and he kind of, you know, would give you the business if if you came at him wrong. And uh, I guess it's the same with everyone, really. Uh, everyone's got two sides to the same coin. And, you know, it's just how, how much contrast is there between the two sides. And I think with Larson, it was like... Um, you know, it was like a big storm. There was a storm sort of inside of him. And then when the when the clouds broke, it was like, you know, just so beautiful. Like, if you can just picture the sky right now, and it's really dark and gray. And then um, the clouds break. Like how beautiful that is. That's kind of like... Uh, That is kind of like what it was like to see him smile. So, I think about that. I mean, I'm... (sighs) You know, um, it seems to sort of mean more, the sun means more after the clouds, and that was always sort of like getting these smiles out of Larson and uh, we all you know love that, like everyone would try to kind of <laughs> we were just a dorky crew, straight off the bat, especially Pika and myself, and we we're just kind of dorks doing dorky stuff, having fun with it, and Chris was you know he's a more serious individual, and uh he approached everything a little bit more seriously and especially you know with his snowboarding, the risks he was taking and whatnot and um that's what he was in for he was like hey i'm here to like mess shit up you know like i'm here to like do the damn thing and i think that's you know that's what made him tick is like when i show up it's it's on and uh you know this isn't you know some joke situation but uh but we were you know consummate kooks so we would just be like ribbing him and trying to get him to crack those smiles when those smiles came yeah it was just so epic and sitting here and going through dude like i don't even know what year these things are you know 2005 this clip right here is from december 30th 2005 was when i put it in the computer um you know just seeing that the same guy you know like he exactly the same when he was little like I would film his face, and he would just be dead serious. I'd keep filming him, keep filming him. Then eventually, like, boom, this big smile would pop out or something. Or it wouldn't, but after the tricks, it usually did. Or after a slam, like, um, you would get those moments, and that was just, like, so good, you know? Like, I'm kind of a smiley guy. Smile a lot uh and uh it's just like that guy's always smiling but larson you know it's just rare and and awesome and extra beautiful to see that happy side and i I, that's what i was saying in the beginning like why the story why the story doesn't add up all the way for me just because you know i always had a different narrative in my mind the last uh, big project we worked on together was right turn left turn which was a sweetheart movie for christina and me which was a project that we were really proud of and the crew we had was just this really small little group of people that was so fun to work with and larson was you know from the very beginning we told chris like hey man like um, you join on to this video we're going to do, like, you just do your thing, you're going to get last part, like, that's how we're going to do it, and, uh, we planned it from the beginning, and, and he did his thing, and he got last part, and, um, yeah, there was some really, really good days on there, and, and, uh, I would say Baker in Granny's, when he just went off on that one kicker, so fun for him to be able to show people that side of his snowboarding because he had, you know, just murdered handrails and ledges and urban stuff for years uh, rarely getting out in the backcountry. But he had sick jump style and big bag of tricks. So it was really cool to see him be able to shine there. And um, that whole year was pretty special. Being able that was 2014. And that was a special project to Christina and I, and Ollie was on the way. And, uh, by the time we premiered the video, Ollie was there in a stroller. So, and Chris, those were the, some of the best times I ever had with Chris. Uh, I think his guard was down more and we were able to, to talk a lot together and share some, um, some inside information about the struggles that both of us go through and, and, um, it was really cool. And I really appreciated that. And of course he's like, you know, like he helps me, you know, like he's like talking to him about my problems, his problems. The few times we did get to have serious conversations driving from like uh, Seattle to Baker or something, those times, you know, were really helpful to me about to become a father dealing with whatever I was dealing with. And then You know, his, his world was, his problems were more real and visceral and, and heavy, but he was happy to share the load of my kind of little domestic foibles. Um, Anyways, I just think, uh, you know, I think he's a great friend too. Um, I wish that I was, I wish that we could have been closer friends. He had some really great friends, so, and they were, they're a great crew. And they really looked out for each other, and um, they really loved each other. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, at the end of the day, I'm just going to remember Chris's smile most of all. That's kind of what I wanted to say here.
0: At his core, I think Larson was a sensitive guy. He felt things more acutely than the average person. So, for better or for worse, he felt the outcomes of situations exponentially more. I think his reaction to life probably reflected those feelings. His mom recalls him being an unapologetic truth teller, how he would tend toward the truth, regardless of the repercussions. Here's Eden Lovejoy.
2: So just about 30 years ago, I took my husband out to dinner one night and said, Hey, I have an idea. I think we should have a kid. So for those of you who loved Larson as a writer, who were inspired by him, who loved him as a friend, as a rebel. Um, uh, first thing I want to say is, you're welcome. Best idea I ever had. And in telling stories about about Larson uh, or Luca or Chris, whatever name you knew him by, um. I, I like to tell the story of, of the truth teller. He just was a truth teller in my life. And, and a few examples, I think, just tell the story. I think it was about six, one Christmas, we're visiting family and everybody's having Christmas morning and Larson grabs me, his mom, come here. And he pulls me down behind the couch, away from everybody. And he says, hey, you got to tell me the truth. What's the deal about Santa Claus? And I didn't want to tell him, but he just looked me in the eye and he said, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed. I need to know really what's the truth. And we got to have a conversation. Always he invited me into the truthful conversation. When he was, like, 11, we went on a, uh, a motorhome trip. His sister was getting ready to go to college, and we were traveling on this motorhome through the Grand Canyon area, New Mexico and Utah. And it was um, his mom and dad and aunt and uncle and sister who was six years older. So really five adults and, and Larson. And uh, he, uh, he pulled me aside one more time after a few days into the trip, and he said... Um, He said, so mom, it really seems like you all like to look at things. I got to tell you, I'm the kind of guy who likes to do things. Do you think that we could do something soon? (laughs) This 11 year old with a clear voice and just an active telling the truth got all those adults out the next day on Lake Powell on a on a powerboat ride for the afternoon and um, just just wonderful memories and an amazing day. He um, he was unapologetic about the truth. Uh, there was a day uh, he must, well, he had to be over 18 because I wasn't required to go to court with him that day. He had something legal he needed to clean up. But I'm a mom, you know, and going to court, I think, is hard. So I offered do you want, so, you know, do you want me to come with you? And he thought about it for a second and he looked at me and said, you know, mom, thanks for the offer, but um, I, my plan today is to lie to the judge and I don't think you want to be there for that. <laughs> he knew what he was up to always, clear intention, clear voice, and, and always, no matter what he was up to, he respected and loved his family. I guess the last example I'll share with you is um, sometime in the last year or two, maybe one of the last times he was he was in my house. Um, I I said I said Luca, you know, you it, it's not easy being your mother all the time. It wasn't always easy to be his mom, and he just paused and looked at me and said, "Yeah, mom, but." you know, you signed up for this. Somewhere on the spirit plane, you signed up for this. And I got to remember, you know, he was right. My idea, best idea I ever had. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. That's my boy.
1: I think of a lot of people, um, a lot of the people that like only see like the partying side of me don't really see like the side of me that like is really caring about like, unfortunately I'm a hypocrite, but like caring about our world, our we're environment, our fucking, like all this, like all the shitty things we're doing, like I fucking, every cigarette I smoke. I'm gonna quit soon. Like I said all the time, that's like I'm guilty. I feel guilty. It's like I hate it. It's like our world is like on like a fucking it's just a short time limit of either changing or just like destroying itself. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that's that's the part that I'm sure people have no idea about me. You know.
0: Thanks to Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juno, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, and Aquila Space for their support at the company man level. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine, with additional writing by Carrie Hombach. Music was produced by Alcota Beats.